This episode is devoted to one single piece of evidence. Why is the invoice book so important? Because it's the only piece of direct evidence tying Oscar to Donna's case. This is Prosecutor Jay Powell questioning David Richmond at trial on June 25th, 1976. All right, now did you find anything? What else did you observe around the bicycle, if anything? An invoice book and a notepad. All right, let me show you what's been marked as people's number six for identification and ask if you can recognize that. That's the notebook I found next to the bike. What does it say on it? Invoice book. Duplicate, 50 sets. All right, 50 sets or cents? Sets. All right. Now, when you were there at the scene where you found your sister's bicycle, did you touch that book? I picked it up. All right. Would you stand over here and show the jury in the court just what you did with the book? Let's assume that the book is on the ground. Can you tell us what you did? Just show us. Picked it up. Speak loudly so everyone can hear you. I picked it up and looked through a couple pages and dropped it back approximately where I picked it up. All right. Let me next show you people's number seven in evidence. It appears to depict a bicycle and an invoice book and a little stand that the sheriff's office uses with some names on it. Is that a representation, an accurate representation, except for the little sheriff's sign, an accurate representation of the way you found the bicycle and the book? It is. All right, now when you picked that book as you shown the jury and dropped it back, that invoice book, what was the most you could have moved the book from the location where you picked it up? No more than a foot either way of where I picked it up. All right, you didn't. Did you remove anything from the book? No. All right. Now, when your father and you and your friend were there again, did you touch the invoice book? No. Did you see anyone else pick up the invoice book? No. Defense counsel Donahue questioning David Richmond at trial on June 25th, 1976. All right, and so at the time you picked up the invoice book, you might have been standing on the side of the picture, which is toward the bottom side, or you might have been standing on the other side of this line, towards the top side. Is that correct? Either side, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. You just don't have any recollection. All right. Now, you say you opened the book, is that correct? Correct. Now, once again, would you demonstrate for the jury just how you opened, how you lifted the book and how you opened the book? We've got a whole lot of loose pages. You see, all the papers were intact when I picked it up. I understand. The sheriff's office tore the pages loose. But would you just show us how, when you picked it up, how you picked it up and what you did with it before you put it back down on the ground? Just picked it up, opened it, looked in some of the two or three of the names, closed it again, found out it wasn't Donna's, and put it back on the ground. Now, as you demonstrated it to me, you evidently at one time held the book something in this position. Is that correct? Could be. And then perhaps this way, and you opened it to look at the pages. Now, David, as I understand it, there was what you described as a notepad laying there beside the or near the invoice book. Is that correct? Yes. Did you look at it? I didn't touch it. Okay. Did you... You were carrying a flashlight, were you not? Yes. 
Did you flash the light on it and take a look at it at least? I was doing all this by the light of the car when I picked up the invoice book. Can you describe the notepad when you saw it there? It was just one of those 10 cent jobs you get down at the dime store for figuring up figures. White. White paper? Probably red adhesive on the ends to hold it together. Was there any writing or figures in the notepad that you observed? There was a few figures. Now, this was sometime after. It was dark when you were out there. The bicycle, or the book, rather, the invoice book, which you picked up, did it appear or feel to you as though it were damp or wet? I can't remember. This is Prosecutor Jay Powell questioning Don Richmond at trial on June 25th, 1976. When you went to the scene where the bicycle was found, was there something else by the bicycle? A tablet. All right. And did you observe that tablet? Yes, sir. All right. Did you pick it up? I don't think I did. I don't think I touched it. At this time, People's Exhibit Number 6, an invoice book, was offered marked for identification purposes only. Let me show you what has been marked as People's Exhibit 6 for identification and ask if you have seen that before. Yes, sir. And where did you see that? This was beside the bicycle. Beside your daughter's bike that night? In the same spot in the roadway. And what does it say on the cover? Invoice book duplicate and then there's a... All right. And what color was it? Blue. Defense counsel Donahue questioning Don Richmond at trial on June 25th, 1976. Well, at this time, Mr. Richmond, do you have any present recollection? Let me rephrase it. Do you have a present recollection of this object by which you could describe it? Describe to us what it, the white object, looked like. I can't. Mr. Richmond, you testified that you're not sure whether you actually picked up People's Exhibit Number 6. Is that correct? That's correct. Did your son or his friend pick up People's Exhibit Number 6? Not in my presence. Okay. Did, when, you, when the book was found, when you arrived on the scene, let me put it this way, how was the book placed? Laying on the ground just as it is depicted here in this picture? To the best of my recollection. Now, I realize, of course, we are going back to the fact it was dark, but did you happen to notice, Mr. Richmond, whether there were any marks near this book that People's Exhibit Number 6, which looked like the book, might have been dropped straight down or one way or another? Was there any marks in the dirt that you can recall? I don't think the book was on the dirt. I'm not sure. It just seems to me like it was hard. Well, all right. Well, if it was dirt, that's hard. You can't hardly make a print, even with the edge of your shoe sole, uh, to, to make an imprint, much less a tablet make a print. David Richmond told a detailed, compelling story at trial, and the invoice book was front and center. The bike was there, the book was there, and Donna was gone. When you listen, it feels almost like an eyewitness account of her kidnapping, like she was taken by the invoice book. One story we don't have is that of Jim Diet. Did he see the book? Did he touch it or move it? Did he see David pick it up? There is no indication that he was ever interviewed by TCSO or by Oscar's defense team. Diet's statement isn't included in any TCSO or Petty John report 
and he was not called to testify at the grand jury or at trial. Also, what made the boys drive straight to that spot to look for Donna? Did they know something about her plans? Who else knew that Donna used that shortcut? Don Richmond doesn't add a lot of facts to the story, but it's clear that he knew how bad the situation was right away. Donna's parents did not hesitate to take her absence seriously the minute she was late. By the time Don got home from work, Nancy had a pretty good handle on what had happened. Donna was last seen at Don Lee's and had ridden home alone. In the days before cell phones, it was entirely reasonable to drive out and look for her. Maybe she had a flat or an accident. When they returned home, they called the hospital and the police, and David enlisted a friend with a car to help him search. In fact, most of the investigation in the case was done by Donna's family. This is TCSO McCarthy, Supplemental Report of January 10th, 1976. On December 26, 1975, I contacted the parents of the above subject at 1908 hours to receive a missing juvenile report. During my interview, Mr. Richmond related to me that while he was conducting a personal search for his daughter, he found her bike with a receipt book and tire track next to it. I asked Mr. Richmond if he disturbed anything at the scene, and he said no. He then took me to where he found the bike, and I secured the scene and notified my supervisor, Sergeant McDonald. Mr. Richmond also told me that no other member of his family had disturbed any item at the scene. I remained at the scene and secured it until Deputy Holguin arrived at 2053 hours, at which time I turned the scene over to him. This is TCSO Crime Lab Report Johnson, dated December 26, 1975. This is Process Crime Scene at 2125 hours. Lighting conditions are poor, weather condition cold and damp. Officers present, Lieutenant Peabody, Sergeant McDonald, Deputy McCarthy, Detective Chamberlain. Reporting officer began taking photographs of tire tracks in area around the victim's bike. A photograph was also taken of a receipt book lying near the bike on the east side. The name A. Clifton was observed in the book. The book retained by reporting officer and sealed in the evidence bag at 2200 hours December 26, 1975. The receipt book was turned over to Deputy Hart for transport back to the crime lab. This is TCSO Bird Report, December 29, 1975. Approximately two feet east of the front wheel of the bicycle was a blue book, which had the name Invoice Book, Duplicate, 50 Sheets. Laying just approximately two inches east of this book, was a white notepad type book with some figuring which appeared to be problems of multiplication, one problem being a longer series type problem than the first. The examination of the blue book indicated that the book had been signed numerous times by the subject with the name A. Clifton. This officer at this time recalled approximately 10 years ago of having traffic regarding a subject out of Farmersville with the last name Clifton, which was an assault with an attempt to commit rape of juveniles. At this time, contacted the Tulare County Records Department, requested a research of the files, and that the names of persons arrested 
with the last name of Clifton be read to this officer at this time I could not recall the first name of the person that I had traffic with by the last name of Clifton research of the file revealed the name to me and refreshed my memory as Oscar Archie Clifton at this time detective Chamberlain had arrived at the scene I requested that he request and follow up with a DMV check for vehicles registered to this subject. Also, examination of the blue book revealed the names of a Bill Jordan, 701 East Laurel Street in Visalia, and a Mr. Bill Rose, no further address, a Mr. Moore, no further address. Reporting officer assigned Detective Chamberlain and Detective Hogwin to make contact with Mr. Bill Jordan 701 East Laurel Street and ascertain the first name of the subject identified as A. Clifton as to who was the subject and where he lived that we might make contact with the subject. From a telephone book we obtained the name of Mr. Bill Rose. This subject was called and it was ascertained from him that subject that had done work for him by the name of Clifton. First name was Oscar. He furnished us with a phone number 732-2172. At 01.30 hours on 12.27.75, from the telephone number furnished through the special investigators from the telephone company, learned the address of subject Oscar Clifton was 14402 Ave 264 Visalia. Myself, Captain Ferris, Detectives Chamberlain, Hallgren, King and Richmond went to this address where subject Clifton was placed under arrest for investigation of 207 PC. At this location where another subject identified as Richard Carter. This is TCSO report Hogwin of December 28, 1975. Reporting officer was at this time assigned to work with Detective Chamberlain in an attempt to get information in regards to identification of possible suspect. Reporting officer and Detective Chamberlain were sent to 701 East Laurel Street, Visalia, to contact a Mr. Bill Jordan and ascertain which A. Clifton had done some contract work for him. Upon our arrival to the Laurel Street address, we were advised by the residents that lived there that they rented the house from Mr. Jordan, and we were given Mr. Jordan's address. Reporting officer and Detective Chamberlain at this time then went to the Jordan residence at 4200 West School Street, Visalia, where we contacted Mr. Jordan. Mr. Jordan advised us that the A. Clifton who does odd job work for him is Oscar Archie Clifton. Mr. Jordan could not provide us with the Clifton address, but gave us directions on how to locate the residence east of Road 140 on Avenue 264. This is report of TCSO Chamberlain, December 27, 1975. 21.15 hours, 12.26.75. Reporting officer was called to the scene of the above crime to assist in the investigation. 21.55 hours, 12.26.75. Reporting officer arrived at the scene and contacted Sergeant Bird. Reporting officer was detailed to install a tape recorder on the victim's home phone. 2210 hours, 122675. Reporting officer installed a tape recorder on the telephone at 1848 List Street, Exeter, with the permission of victim's parents. 
reporting officer was then advised by Sergeant Bird that a Oscar Archie Clifton was a possible suspect and that a receipt book had been found at the scene which was believed to belong to Clifton. Sergeant Bird detailed reporting officer and Detective Holguin to contact a Bill Jordan at 701 East Laurel, Visalia, whose name was found in the receipt book. Reporting officer and Detective Holguin stopped by headquarters and picked up a copy of a 1965 booking sheet on Oscar Archie Clifton, date of birth March 31, 1940. 2320 hours, 122675. Reporting officer and Detective Holguin went to 701 East Laurel, Visalia. The resident there identified himself as Bradley Miller. He advised that he and his wife were renting the house from Bill Jordan and had been living there since the 1st of September this year. Reporting officer showed Mr. Miller and his wife the photo of suspect Clifton. Mr. Miller advised that he had never seen the subject. Mrs. Miller advised that the subject looked similar to a subject who had delivered a dinette set to the residence for Mr. Jordan around the 1st of September. Mrs. Miller supplied an address of 4200 West School Street for Mr. Jordan. 2345 hours, reporting officer and detective Holguin contacted a Bill Jordan at his residence, 4200 West School Street. Mr. Jordan identified the suspect, Oscar Archie Clifton, as the same subject who had done work for him from time to time. This is TCSO Bird's affidavit in support of a search warrant dated December 27, 1975 found next to the bicycle a blue ready-form duplicate invoice book, stock number 7H721. Evidence in this book indicates that it belongs to A. Clifton, P.O. Box 3408, Visalia, California, 93277. A check with records shows that this P.O. Box is rented to Oscar Archie Clifton of 14404, Avenue 264, Visalia, California. This section is really a mess of contradictory facts. We've provided what we hope are useful graphics to show who was at the bike scene that night and when. In terms of contemporaneous reports, it's very difficult to determine when the invoice book was really seen for the first time. Both McCarthy and Holguin prepared reports with initial statements from the Richmonds, and neither referenced the invoice book. At Sergeant Bird's order, McCarthy then prepared a supplemental report on January 10, 1976, which added David Richmond's finding of the invoice book, but stated that nobody disturbed any item at the scene, which directly contradicts David's testimony at trial. The first officers on scene were McCarthy, McDonald, Peabody, Barnes, and Ferris. McCarthy and Peabody do not mention the invoice book in their reports, and we have no report from McDonald, Barnes, or Ferris. None of them testified at trial. Hart was mentioned tangentially by Byrd and Johnson, but we have no other details from him. Holguin and Melt Richmond arrived later, prepared reports, but they did not mention seeing the invoice book and did not testify about the bike scene.
The invoice book was reported taken into evidence by Johnson at 10 p.m., so Chamberlain and King arrived too late to see it at the scene. That just leaves Byrd, who arrived at 8.45, and Johnson, who arrived at 9.25. Their initial reports conflict with each other and their trial testimony. It's important to note that the invoice book was marked A. Clifton with a Vesalia P.O. box. It contained a mix of carbon copies of invoices presented and paid by remodeling clients and unused blanks. There are numerous contradictory statements as to how Oscar and his address were identified from that invoice book. Byrd assigned Holguin and Chamberlain the task of tracking down Oscar's name and address, but the two officers did not agree on how that happened. Holguin said they eventually found Bill Jordan, who told them that A. Clifton stood for Oscar Archie Clifton, and Jordan gave them directions to Oscar's house. The idea that Bill Jordan knew that Oscar's middle name was Archie is fantastical. Oscar didn't even use the A, let alone Archie. Chamberlain said he was given Oscar's name and date of birth at the scene by Bird, and that he and Holguin picked up a sheet on Oscar with his photo from the station before they visited Jordan or his tenants, the Millers. Chamberlain's version makes a lot more sense. Bird told three different stories, and none matched Holguin's. First, Bird said that as soon as he saw A. Clifton, he remembered that he had arrested someone named Clifton 10 years earlier and had the Tulare County Records Department read him the name of all possible Cliftons, nothing about getting the name from Bill Jordan. It's impossible to know how probable it was to reach the County Records Department late on Friday night of a holiday weekend or how long it would take them to look up and pull files for all possible Cliftons in those pre-computer days but it all feels unnecessarily complicated. Bird had known Clifton for many years, and we've been told there was personal animosity between them dating back to the early 1960s. Bird's second story seems to come out of the blue, and it was included in the affidavit of probable cause for the search warrant obtained for the search of Oscar's home that was executed 7.55 a.m. on December 27, 1975. In that affidavit, Bird stated that he learned of Oscar's address from the post office by reversing the P.O. box address contained on the invoice book. That would have needed to occur sometime between 10 p.m. on Friday night and 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. That information would have been kept on file cards at the post office branch in Visalia. The Cliftons had recently moved, and there is no reason to think that they had even bothered to update the street address associated with the P.O. box. There is no mention anywhere in any officer's report of obtaining this information from the post office, and this story is never repeated again at grand jury or at the trial. Bird's third story is included in his December 29, 1975 report. In that one, he pulled Bill Rose's name from the invoice book looked him up in the phone book, called him, and got Oscar's name from Rose. Rose was unable to provide Oscar's address, but provided his home phone number. Special investigators from the phone company were then able to provide the address associated with the phone number at 1.30 a.m. on December 27, 1975. There can be only one truth, but with so many different stories, it's difficult to believe any of them.
This is Prosecutor Jay Powell questioning Byrd at trial on June 28, 1976. All right. Now, while you were at the scene, did you observe what has been marked plaintiff's number six in evidence, an invoice book? Yes, sir. Now, at the scene, did you touch or handle that book? No, sir. What did you do with regard to the to that particular book? Detective Johnson had the book in his hand. It was laying on a piece of plastic. He turned the pages, and I viewed the pages with Detective Johnson. All right. Did you get some information off of that book? I got the name of a Mr. Bill Rose and a Mr. Bill Jordan. And what did you do after you had obtained that information? Assigned two detectives to contact Mr. Jordan, and I did. the books did not reveal the address of Mr. Rose, so I went to the telephone book, and I obtained the name of a Mr. Rose. All right. And after that information, after you had done those things, what did you do next? Well, from the book, we obtained the name of A. Clifton. Was that on the book, the A. Clifton? Yes, in the on the pages inside the book. And we determined from Mr. Rose what the person's real name was and phone number. All right. And was the name Clifton? Yes, sir. And when you had the phone number, what did you do? Well, we got the investigators for the telephone company to give us the address to compare it with the phone number. All right. And what did you do when you had the address then? Went to this location at 14402 Avenue 264. This is Defense Attorney Donahue questioning Bird at trial on June 28, 1976. Did you see Detective Johnson pick up the invoice book? No, sir. Well, you testified on direct examination that Johnson had the book in his hand. I did not. You asked me if I seen him pick it up. He had it in his hand when I first seen it. All right. You didn't see him pick it up. You saw him with a book in his hand. Is that correct? Yes, sir, I did. Who's A. Clifton? As identified by Mr. Bill Rose, Mr. Archie Clifton. A. Clifton is Alice Clifton, isn't it? Not to my knowledge. That's what's in the books, isn't it? Not that I saw. All I seen was the initial A. Clifton. Well, the defendant's name is what? Oscar Archie Clifton. Well, look at receipt number 7118, signed by A. Clifton. Right. 7104, A. Clifton. Correct, correct. Now, you know who Mrs. A. Clifton is, don't you? No, sir, I do not. This is Prosecutor J. Powell questioning Bird at trial on June 28, 1976. All right, and let me show you plaintiff's number seven in evidence. On the invoice book, there's a sheet of some kind of paper laying partially across it. Do you remember seeing that at the scene? Yes, sir. And what was that? It was a piece of carbon paper. This is Prosecutor J. Powell questioning Johnson at trial on June 25th, 1976. All right, then let me show you next what has been marked as, and by the way, this photograph that we are talking about, number seven, did you take that photograph? Yes, I did. All right, and does that, before you took the photograph, did you move the book or any of those papers or the bicycle? No, sir, not before the photo was taken. All right, then let me show you plaintiff's number six for identification and ask if you can identify that invoice book. Yes, sir. And what invoice book is that? 
It's the invoice book that was picked up out at the crime scene. Did you pick up the invoice book at the crime scene? Yes, I did. And was that before or after you took the photograph of the book lying there? It was after the photo had been taken. All right. And what did you do with that invoice book once you picked it up? The invoice book was shown to Sergeant Bird. It was kept in my custody at all times. From there, it was sealed into a paper bag for transport to Sergeant Hensley at the crime lab. This is Defense Attorney Donahue questioning Johnson at trial on June 25th, 1976. All right. And about how far from the bicycle, in terms of inches or feet, was the invoice book? I don't recall for sure. I believe it was about two feet. All right. Is that your best estimate? Yes, sir. Now, Detective Johnson, you stated that you photographed People's Number 6, which I believe it's 6, which is the invoice book, and you also photographed something you called a notepad. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Where is the notepad? I believe it's in evidence at the sheriff's office. I'm not sure. At trial, Johnson and Bird tell a similar story. Nobody touched the invoice book before Johnson arrived at 9.25 to process and photograph the bike scene. Johnson was the only person who picked it up and he held it on plastic while he turned the pages for Bird's review. It was then sealed in an evidence bag and given to Hart for transport. Johnson's original report lists the officers on scene when he arrived and Bird's name is not there. Bird should have been at the bike scene for about 40 minutes at that point. Also, Johnson carefully details the scene processing with times, photos taken, and measurements, but again, no mention of going through the invoice book or showing it to Bird. Bird's report has a similar problem. He described his review of the invoice book as, Detective Johnson of the Tulare County crime scene was called to this location, also went into interview at this time with officers at the scene. The examination of the blue book indicated that the book had been signed numerous times by a subject with the name of A. Clifton. Later in the report, Bird said that he, quote, requested Detective Johnson process the crime scene. The area was sealed off by deputies who had been brought into the area for traffic control, end quote. No times are given for these activities, but reading it sequentially and in tandem with Johnson's report, at 8.45, Bird arrived on scene and noted the bike and invoice book. At 9 o'clock, Johnson was called to the scene. Also at 9 o'clock, Bird and the other officers on scene reviewed the invoice book and requested the records check for possible Cliftons. At 9.25, Johnson arrived on scene and was asked to process it, which he did. The report seemed to indicate that officers on the scene reviewed the invoice book prior to Johnson's arrival. That makes sense, since it's difficult to imagine that they just stood around and ignored the book for 40 minutes, knowing that Donna's life might be at stake. That's totally understandable, but would not justify telling a different story to the jury at trial. This is TCSO Crime Lab Supplement Hensley, January 2nd, 1976. 2200 hours, December 26th, 1975. Reporting officer was instructed by Lieutenant Peabody to come to headquarters to process some physical evidence on this case. 
The items were one receipt book bearing some used and some unused pages, one small notebook bearing some used and unused pages, one piece of carbon paper. Reporting officer processed the items for latent prints using the ChemPrint brand of Ninhydrin spray. Usable latent prints were developed on three of the used pages of the receipt book. 0300 hours, December 27, 1975. Reporting officer personally contacted Oscar A. Clifton and Richard Carter and took inked finger and palm print impressions from them. Reporting officer then compared the latent palm and fingerprints developed from the receipt book found at the original kidnap scene with the known fingerprint and palm prints of Oscar Clifton with the following conclusions. I determined that the partial palm print developed on the front side of receipt number 7125 from the receipt book was identical with the left palm print impression of Oscar A. Clifton. This is TCSO Crime Lab Supplement Hensley, January 7th, 1976. 1100 hours, January 7th, 1976. Reporting officer completed the latent print examination of the latents found on the receipt book. One additional latent impression was identified with Oscar Clifton. I determined that the partial palm print developed on the front side of receipt number 7116 from the receipt book was identical with his left palm impression. This identification makes a total of two latents found in the receipt book which were identified with this suspect. Two partial latent fingerprints and one partial latent palm print still remain unidentified. Reporting officer then compared these latents with the known impressions of Rick Carter. No similarities were noted. This is TCSO Report Hensley, March 9, 1976. 0900 hours, March 8, 1976. Reporting officer compared the three remaining latent prints, which were unidentified, with the known inked impressions of Mrs. Alice Clifton. All three prints were found to be identical with her impressions. They were latent print number three found on receipt number 7122 was identical with her left thumb impression. Latent print number four found on receipt number 7122 was identical with her right thumb impression. Latent print number five found on receipt number 7121 was identical with her left palm print impression. This is Prosecutor Jay Powell questioning Hensley at trial on June 25, 1976. Let me show you what has been marked as plaintiff's number six in evidence, a blue-covered invoice book. Do you recognize that item? Yes, sir, I do. It bears my personal mark. All right. And did you process that item for fingerprints? Yes, I did. All right. Now, did you, when you processed this invoice book, did you have a chance to go through and find any... Did you find any latent prints? Yes, sir, I did. And where did you find these latent prints? Oh, the comparable latent fingerprints were found on three separate pages within the invoice book. All right, and did you compare those latent fingerprints to known prints of anyone? Yes, I did. And with whom did you, 
with what known prints did you compare those latent fingerprints? With three subjects. Mr. Oscar Archie Clifton, a Mrs. Alice Clifton, and a Mr. Carter. And in comparing those latent prints to the known prints of those three people, Mr. Clifton the defendant, Mr. Clifton's wife, and this Richard Carter, were you able to find points of comparison so that you could make a positive identification? Yes, sir, I did. And from that, what do you conclude from your illustration and your examination? I determined that the latent print on the left side of the exhibit, which was found in the receipt book, was in fact identical with the left palm print impression of the defendant, Oscar Archie Clifton. Were you able to make any other positive identifications of any other latent prints? Yes, sir, I was. And which ones were they? Could you tell us about those? Yes, sir. One other latent palm print from one other page within the receipt book was also identified as being identical with the left palm print impression of the defendant, Oscar Archie Clifton. One other latent palm print impression found within the receipt book was found to be identical with the known palm print impression of Mrs. Alice Clifton. The last two identifiable latent prints were both latent fingerprints. They were also found to be identical with the fingerprints of Mrs. Alice Clifton. And did any of those latent prints match this other subject you mentioned, Richard Carter? No, sir, they did not. This is Defense Attorney Ray Donahue questioning Hensley at trial, June 25th, 1976. Sergeant Hensley, did you find any other latent prints on this invoice book, which is People's Exhibit 6? There were other smudged latent fingerprints which were not comparable quality. Approximately how many of those did you find on the book? I didn't really count smudges. There were numerous smudges on the numerous pages of the book. You stated that you took the latent prints from pages on the inside of the book. Is that correct? That's correct. Were there any prints, smudges or otherwise, on the exterior cover, either back or front of the book? There were smudges on the exterior front and back cover of the book. Would it be possible to pick up latent fingerprints from the exterior cover of the book? Yes, sir. Uh, under certain conditions, it would be possible. Okay. Well, supposing I picked up the book this way and then held it this way while I went this way. Could you pick up any prints on the book? It is possible. Okay. Supposing I did this within two hours of the time the book went into the possession of the sheriff's office. Would you have been able to pick up the latent prints then? I cannot say what I could be able to do. I would say it is possible. I can't say what happens each and every time. Normally, if a finger comes in contact with an object, normally you'll leave some type of trace which can be developed chemically or other means. It cannot always be comparable. I cannot say you always leave something. All right, let's just take it as we are right now with me holding this book. Can you tell me whether I am or am not leaving something? You probably would be leaving something, yes. If I held it this way, would I be leaving something, in your opinion? Normally, you would be leaving something, yes, sir. Okay, now, did you dust or whatever you do to try to pick up a latent print? Did you dust or whatever what may have process may have been to the cover of this book? Yes, I did. What about to the rear of the book, the back cover? Yes, I did. Did you find any prints, latent prints, on the front or the back? There were some latent smudges found on both the front and the back. They are still visible. 
In this connection, as I understand it, there was also a notepad found near the place where exhibit number six was found. Was that turned over to you? Yes, sir, it was. And did you test it for latent prints? Yes, I did. And what, if anything, did you find? I found no comparable latent fingerprints on the notepad. Now, so we both understand each other, Sergeant Hensley. When we're talking about the notepad, we're talking about the entire notepad, the sheets in the back of it? Yes, as I recall, yes, sir. Well, did this pad consist of more than one sheet of paper? Yes, sir, it did. Okay, approximately how many sheets of paper? I didn't count the exact number of sheets. As I recall, I processed the top sheet, the back, and all sheets which had been used or had writing on them. Hensley's fingerprint reports and testimony were pretty simple. Out of the 50 pages and cover, he only found latent prints on three pages within the book. They were a mix of palm and fingerprints and mostly Alice Clifton's, which is consistent with the fact that she generally prepared the client invoices. There were no prints on the front or back cover, which is odd since David Richmond testified that he picked it up and looked inside it when he found Donna's bike. Obviously, Oscar and Alice Clifton's prints should have been on the cover too. The notepad, with three pages of what appear to be poorly calculated math problems, had no identifiable prints at all, not on any pages or the cover. Oscar denied all knowledge and ownership of the notepad, but readily admitted the invoice book was his. The figures do not appear to relate to hours worked on a construction job or calculations for materials, and they don't correspond to anything in the invoice book. Why didn't these items have fingerprints on their covers? Why didn't the notepad have any fingerprints? Since Oscar admitted ownership of the invoice book, why didn't TCSO make an effort to investigate the notepad? Where was that type of pad sold locally? Were they used at a business or school in town? Petty John Report, January 23, 1976. On January 21, 1976, recontacted Bill Rose, Realtor, an employer of Clifton. He advised Clifton did contact just before Christmas, giving him bill for work done, and after checking records advised, Clifton gave him invoice number 7129 on December 22, 1975, for work done for him on House on Beverly Drive, and invoice number 7128 on December 23, 1975, for work done on apartments on Park Street. Invoice numbers and dates, although appear to be reversed, are correct. This is Defense Attorney Ray Donahue questioning Clifton at trial, July 6, 1976. Mr. Clifton, I'm going to show you Exhibit 14, which has been introduced into evidence, and ask you, sir, do you recognize this little notepad? I went over this, looking at it, and none of the figures mean anything to me. And as far as the notepad, I use these sometimes, but they're, I think, slightly larger. Well, specifically, do you recognize this notepad as being yours? No. Prior to the time that you were arrested, Mr. Clifton, did you even know where the Donna Richmond family lived? No, I did not. Mr. Clifton, do you have any idea as to how exhibit number six, which is your invoice book, came to be found out in the orange grove out where the bicycle was located? No, sir. Do you have any knowledge as to how exhibit number 14, a notepad, was found out, got located out there? No, sir. 
Mr. Clifton, where did you normally keep this invoice book, which was number six in evidence? Normally, it was either on my pickup dash or car dash. Did you have an occasion to use the invoice book on the date of December the 26th? No. The last time I used it was the 23rd, I, I believe. The mystery of how Oscar's invoice book ended up at the scene with Donna's bike needed to be solved by the defense team, and it wasn't. The only sign of investigation by Petty John was confirming when the book was last used on December 23rd. It seems that it would have been fairly easy to nail down the last time the Cliftons saw the invoice book and which vehicle it was in. The Cliftons took the family car to Bill Rose's office on the 23rd and immediately took the last invoice payment to the bank, then went Christmas shopping at Kmart. Was the invoice book in the marquee at that point? Oscar had no memory of seeing it on the 26th, but he wasn't looking for it. Other family members have said it was just as likely to have been in Carter's truck as in Oscar's. Donahue seemed to go with the risky trial tactic of, we have no idea how it got there, but we don't have to. That's the prosecution's job. And I can't prove it, so I'm not going to guess. Hearing some plausible theories from the defense, or even a simple explanation, might have been helpful to the jury. At least telling the jury where the three possible vehicles had been during the three-day gap may have helped them understand how easy it would have been for someone to notice the book on a dashboard and take it from the always unlocked truck or car. It could have appeared to be something valuable, like the old-style business checkbook. Or maybe someone was trying to find out the address of one of Oscar's attractive teen daughters. The other question Donahue should have addressed was whether or not the invoice book and notepad were actually with Donna's bike. TCSO also collected a bunch of empty bottles and cans and a strange pillow at the scene. Was this just a private place to dump stuff? A party spot for teens? Did someone just throw out car prowl loot that they didn't want? This is Defense Attorney Ray Donahue's closing statement at trial, July 12, 1976. All right, no, I suppose, and I know that I was as interested as you people are. How did the book, how did the invoice book get to the scene? And it's shown in the picture, the notebook which was found beside the invoice book. Ladies and gentlemen, I just don't know. Mr. Clifton says that the first time he knew his book was involved in this thing was at some time around 1.30 in the morning when the police came and arrested him. On the day of the 26th, as you know, we've been all through the tour of half of Tulare County. The book was here. Mr. Clifton was over here. The Emporium, Kmart, and so on. The post office. I don't know where he was over on Garden Street. Someone may have taken the book. That's the only explanation I can give to you. But as a matter of fact, Please understand, I do not know how the book, the invoice book, got to the scene, and I'm not going to try to lead you any other way. I just don't know. My only surmise or guess is just what I said. Perhaps someone did remove the book. But the other thing to it, all right, there's no doubt about it, the invoice book belongs to Mr. Clifton. But we have the other little notebook there, and I don't know who that belongs to either. And I can find no... It appears to me that there has been very little effort to try to ascertain who might have owned that book. But there's a notebook there, the little notepad, I should say, to distinguish it from the invoice book. The only thing I can say is that if it belonged to Mr. Clifton, he might as well have said, yes, that's mine. 
because the invoice book is his. There was writing there, numbers. I showed them to him, as you recall, and he said, they mean nothing to me. Was any effort made to find out if they meant something to some other person who was at the scene? None that I know of. So it's possible that that little notebook, the notepad, does belong to some third person, and maybe the same third person who put the invoice book there. That's the only thing I can tell you, and this is purely conjecture on my part because I have no facts upon which to back up what I'm saying. But I do not have the burden of proof in this case. The prosecution has that burden, and it's up to them to try to ascertain if they could. And the only thing they did, as far as I know, they had Sergeant Hensley check the notepad for fingerprints, and he came up with a smudge which he could not identify. The arrest of Oscar and Carter closed out Friday, but was only the beginning of what was going to be a very long and horrific Saturday. Mm -hmm.